Folks, welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. It is Wednesday, January 30th, and the news has just been released that 50 Clemson players were tested for PEDs within the last year, and none of them, aside from the three that got suspended for the bowl game, um, have tested positive. So take that, South Carolina. If you tuned in today to listen to two hours worth of football talk, go back and listen to the last episode. Uh, today, we're actually here to talk about the basketball team, and Sam, I don't imagine we're going we're gonna to get close to the two-hour mark. No, my goal is always to keep it under an hour. We should be under that even even more today. Well, we do have a lot to, to catch up on here. We haven't spoken about basketball really since our uh, basketball season preview back in December. A lot has gone on since then, um, including bouncing back in our non-conference play, um, but then off to a rocky start in ACC play. That, that wasn't totally unexpected um, given how – how tough the beginning of ACC play our schedule was and just in general ACC play is not an easy thing to navigate but uh here we sit uh Clemson is seven games into their ACC schedule they're 12 and 8 on the year two and five in the ACC that's good for 11th in the conference right now um I can't remember where did the media have us uh ranked in the preseason Sam do you recall I think it was sixth okay well we've uh, we're not there yet yeah, and so the storylines kind of behind this episode have shifted somewhat, giving the bounce-back win against Pitt at home uh, last night. But, yeah, man, that NC State loss, in the moment, I thought that, that, that would have been something that killed the team. But given the bounce-back against Pitt last night, I'm, I'm more optimistic about how we're going to finish up the season. And I will say, I, I think any reasonable Clemson fan has to look and, and still think that there's an opportunity for this team to turn it around and play better here down the stretch and make the NCAA tournament. But uh, Sam, let, let's do talk about now catching up on this uh, ACC schedule so far. We're, we're seven games in, as I mentioned, got off to a rocky start, lost our first three and five of our first six, uh, culminating in that uh, that heartbreaking loss to NC State there. But high level starting off, I mean, I guess going through the first three games at Duke, at Syracuse, and versus Virginia, did we really think that there was, I mean, optimistically speaking, we thought maybe we'd get out of that first three games, one and two at best. And that would have been with a win on the road at Syracuse, which is a hard thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. I think we came in to ACC play on a four game winning streak after that loss to uh, Mississippi state uh, right before our last episode. So, but we, we came in knowing that it was a really brutal stretch, uh, to start the ACC, we play the number one team in the country in Duke, um, the, at Duke, and then we go to Syracuse, which is a, a notoriously difficult place to play, and then home against Virginia, who is currently ranked fourth in the country, but <clears throat> you know they're one of the top five teams in, in the country without a doubt. So 
that was always going to be a brutal start to the season for ACC play. Um, and it didn't really get much easier after that. We, uh, we played home against Georgia Tech, which we won, uh, and then had Florida State, NC State, and Pitt. Pitt was the easiest one of those three. Florida State and NC State are both really strong teams again this year. So it's been a really brutal first seven games of ACC play. Uh, ideally, we'd have probably two more wins, uh, probably at best, out of those seven. Uh, really, we should have had the NC State game uh, that came down to the wire. We'll touch on that game in a bit, but it, uh, it was a not never going to be a smooth start to the ACC, um, season for us. So the second half of the season is much lighter as far as strength of schedule, and we should be able to turn at least turn it around a little bit. So we'll see if the team can do that. But, uh, like you said, the pit game was a good start. Yeah, and so I think what we'll do today is try to paint a little bit of optimism uh, for the outlook of the season. I mean, if you really just, if you step back and take a look at the seven games we played uh, so far, you take away the two gimmies at home against Georgia Tech and at, uh, or at home uh, versus Pitt, two teams which are not that great. And then you just look at the rest of the schedule. I mean, at Duke, they were ranked number one at, at the time. Uh, at Syracuse, Syracuse is a is a good team this year. They're probably tourney bound. Uh, unless you're University of Maryland, Baltimore County, you're going to have a tough time against Virginia. Um, so that was, you know, albeit at home, it's still Virginia. Uh, at FSU, FSU is now a ranked team sitting at uh, 25th in the country. Then at number 21, NC State. So, I mean, those are really, really tough games. And this is the hardest part of our schedule. And, yeah, of course, we hope that we would have come – out with more wins, maybe picking off one at Syracuse, but even you know, road games in the ACC, I don't care who you're playing, is tough. And then, of course, that NC State uh, uh, loss is one that we should have had. But, you know, I will say this. There have been some bright moments with this team. Um, at the same time, they've been suffering. It's kind of been a Clemson team from two or three years ago sometimes where we go in these long scoring droughts. And that's when really teams pull ahead and kind of put a dagger um, in things. You know, at Duke, we were tied at 24 with less than six to go in the first half. But Duke closed the game on a 63 to 44 run to win that one by 19 points. Of course, Zion Williamson had 25 points, 10 rebounds in that game. Could have used him. Um, Syracuse, we were really never in it. They got up early and and never looked back. We did get in uh, to within six with just under four left in the game, but weren't able to, to put it together there at the end. And then Virginia, they, they did build a lead early. Uh, Clemson did fight back to being down only six at the, at the half. But, you know, just looking back, it's the same thing with Virginia. Uh, same thing with our games against them last year. For some reason, and Clemson is not the only team that struggles with them, but Clemson just doesn't seem to have um, an offensive game plan to put together to be able to beat those guys. Yeah, and I think the offensive game plan is somewhere where we've kind of struggled all throughout ACC play and throughout the season. Like you said, we've we've had a lot of uh, stretches and games where we would go scoreless for three, four, five minutes at a time. Um, and Pitt was the first game, I think, all season sent in ACC play that we haven't had one of those lulls. Uh, we did go through a stretch early in the second half uh, where we didn't score for about five minutes, but we had already crushed them so thoroughly that they didn't even really make up ground in that stretch. Um, like you said, those first three games, we were never super close. Uh, the Georgia Tech game, 
was kind of the inverse. It was never close for them. They never really got it all that close. No. Well, and to um, your point, the the one um, scoring drought we had there in that game, Georgia Tech had three throughout that game. So that's why they yeah. weren't able to make get it any closer. And in so far in our seven ACC games this year, Clemson has gone on seven lengthy scoring droughts when compared to our opponents' five. Again, three of those were by GT uh, and one by Pitt. So in the games that we've lost, Clemson has gone on six uh, elongated scoring droughts versus one for our opponents. So I think when we start to dive into this, that's one thing to look at. Yeah, I think that's something that differs from last year. Um, this team last year had Gabe DeVoe, and that really made a big difference, not just from his scoring, but from the way that he helped space the floor and allow guys like Marquise Reed and Shelton Mitchell to create shots for themselves or for others. Um, and our defense has not been as strong this year. And that's kind of interesting to me because I feel like we we didn't lose any big presences on on our defense, uh, but we don't we don't force teams into elongated stretches of uh, no scoring like we did as much as we did last year. And is um, it really on our perimeter defense? Yeah, I mean, we are one of the worst teams in the country this year uh, on three-point defense. We're, we're giving up uh, 37% of our threes, which is 312th in the country. Uh, there are only 353 teams in college basketball. Sorry, that's, that's what teams are giving up against us. Uh, we're 271st, so not much better. We're shooting 32% and giving up 37%. That's a pretty big gap. Um, so it's perimeter defense has been a huge problem. It's been better in ACC play. Um, we're down to just under 36% given up um, in ACC play. So cutting off a couple of percentage points, but it's been a problem. We've had a number of players and teams throughout the year have career nights against us from, from three-point range. Guys going, you know, six for 12 and teams going over 50% for the game. And that's it's been going on for years. Yeah, it's been going on for years, but it's been, uh, generally it's been single players in the past. This year it's been whole teams a lot of the time. Right. So, yeah, we didn't get out the gates uh, very quickly there off to an 0-3 start. But again, it's not like that was completely and wholly unexpected. That's a very tough way to start your schedule. Then we get the Georgia Tech game. Uh, Clemson wins that one by 12. They built a big lead early. Um, got cut to five at the half, but then Clemson ended up maintaining a steady lead from, from, from there on out and were never really threatened. So good to get that win under your belt. Then you go on the road to Florida State, and yes, Florida State's a good team, but that's one that Clemson, on paper, should be able to match up against and give, uh, you know, give a fight on the road. It was a back-and-forth affair uh, with Clemson maintaining the lead most of the game, but then here we go. We go on a scoring drought, uh, up five with 11 minutes left to play. FSU goes on a 27-13 to 13 run, and there's the ball game. Yep, and it was really that 8-0 run. Uh, from 11 minutes to about seven minutes in the game that that turned the tide. We never got the lead back. We never got closer than um, than three at, after that point in the game. And it it's something that we've kind of seen a lot this year as well is inability to finish games strong. Um, and I think some of that comes down to style of play. A lot of our offense is, is created from guys like Shelton Mitchell and Marquise Reed creating shots for themselves. A lot of times those are mid range contested shots. They're difficult shots. Those two are both really good players and they hit a lot of them, uh, but it's not a 
successful strategy and it's not going to get you uh, a consistent scoring uh, night. You know, you're going to have lulls. And when teams clamp down on defense late in games and refs swallow their whistles a little bit more late in games, that's when we're experiencing a lot of those um, long stretches with, with difficulty scoring. And it's, it's making it hard for us to finish games. You saw it uh, in the Florida state game. You saw it again in NC state and you even saw it against Pitt. Granted we had our backups in, but it happened against Pitt to end the game as well. Uh, After we had been up 20 plus all the whole game, we ended up winning by 13. Now the script did flip a little bit in the NC state game. Um, Again, an excruciating two point loss there. Clemson uh, was hanging on early, but then trailed for a while uh, through the middle 20 minutes of the game. But then NC state goes on a scoring drought with just over under 11 minutes left to play, which allowed Clemson to take the lead with about eight minutes left. And the Tigers would maintain that lead until the very last shot of the game. Uh, which was a three-point buzzer beater by Bryce Beverly, which just about killed me. Yeah, um, Beverly, Beverly was 0 for 4 from 3 prior to that. He is shooting, clo- shooting close to 40% from 3 on the season, but still, what a what a dagger and a heartbreaker that was. But, you know, again, what we're missing in all of this is if things turn out different with those free throws at the end of the game, and we'll talk about that, um, and they should have, the storyline from that game should have been Clemson clamped down on defense at the end scored well, took the lead, and held on to beat a ranked team on their home floor. That's what we should have been talking about. Yep, that should be the narrative, but instead it's a choking narrative. We were up six with 34 seconds left in that game and didn't win it. Um, and it all comes down to the free throws. You know, Shelton Mitchell. Shelton missed, Mitchell uh, and Marquise Reed. Yeah, so Mitchell with the first one missing one of two that could have put us up seven, I think, and essentially put the game out of reach. Um and then Reed missing those four in a row, which I mean, for both of these things, both of these guys are over 80% free throw shooters have been their whole career. I, to me, this, and especially having seen them bounce back in the game against Pitt, this has to be an anomaly. Like I, I can't imagine a scenario where we're going to see those guys, especially Reed miss four in a row. Um, two best free throw shooters on the team. I'm willing to bet that it's not going to happen again. Yeah, that's a pretty safe bet. Um, it's just disappointing that, the night that it happens, it's a close game, and NC State did a good job hitting shots late in the game. Obviously, the, Be- the Beverly one to win it at the buzzer uh, from about 30 feet was a hell of a shot. You know, all the credit goes to him on that one, but they shouldn't have had the chance to take the lead with that shot, and that was as a result of those missed field goal or those missed free throws. Um, we shot 17 for 26 in the game from the free throw line, and they were 12 for 13. Uh, the announcer said it during the game with about two or three minutes left. We had a four or five point lead. Uh, and the announcer said, if Clemson's able to hit their free throws down the stretch, they're going to win this game. And they were right, but we didn't. So, uh, NC state, you know, did a good job closing the game out. Beverly hit that ridiculous buzzer beater. Uh, but it was, it was difficult to watch. And and to your point, Ben, it's not something that's going to happen often or potentially ever again in the season. Um, it's just an unfortunate way to, uh, to lose that game. We were also over seven from three in the NC state game, which is unusual for us. We average uh, this year about six threes a game and uh, we got none. So one more of those goes down in that game. It's a different story as well. Well, bottom line is we needed to hear free throws and that it historically has been an Achilles heel for Clemson. But the part of our success last year was 
we had guys on the team that would step up, step up down the stretch and hit their free throws. And that is a sign of uh, that's what good teams do and are able to do. That's what successful teams are able to do. And yeah. so that's what kills us in this game. You mentioned the three-point shooting. We're, we're down percentage-wise as a team. Um, now, I ex- don't expect us to have any more games where we don't hit threes. I don't know, maybe playing against Virginia. Um, so that's a bit of an anomaly as well. So I, you know, three, three-point shooting is something we'll look at moving forward. But after that game and when it happened, my, you know, one of my immediate reactions was, man, that might have killed the season for this team because bouncing back from something like that, starting the ACC play one and five, it's hard to dig yourself out of that hole. But lo and behold, here comes Pitt. Now, Pitt's not a good basketball team. We were playing in Little John. I expected to win that game. I'm sure Clemson fans did as well. But for, for that team to come out and dominate from the start, like they did, jumping out to a 22 to 5 lead, never looking back, up by 28 at halftime, scoring 51 points in the first half. That was a thing of beauty. And to me, that shows you, um, especially with our seniors in Shelton Mitchell and Marquise Reed stepping up like they did. Reed with 26 points, four for seven from three, and six from six from the line. Mitchell with 14 points, four for four from three. Um, that tells me a lot about them as senior and senior leaders, because I think one of my question marks is where's the leadership on this team. And it's not to say that there isn't any, I just don't know. I'm wondering where that's coming from. So for them to be able to bounce back, I found to be, um, especially encouraging. And I've said this over and over again, and outside of that NIT run a couple of years ago where we had the big like 20 point lead on Oakland and blew it in the second half to get knocked down the mm-hmm. first round as we were like ranked as a, as a one seed in that tournament. That's really the only time through all the, all the tough times in, in Clemson basketball under Brad Brown. that's really the only time I've ever seen him really lose a team. Yeah. So it's encouraging to see this team bounce back like this in the game. I know it's just pit, but we really needed that win. We definitely did, um, and you definitely you've talked about that before, and I think you're right. And this the NC State game was uh, pos- a possibility of a a turning point in this season. Um, how we respond to that loss and that blown lead late is going to define the rest of this year. Um, last season, it was Dante Grantham's injury and how we responded to that. Uh, turns out, Gabe Devoe's awesome. And he was able to step up, as were several other players, to fill the shoes that that Grantham left when he got hurt. This year, it's we had a, a failure of essentially fundamentals in the NC State game to end the game. Uh, how do the seniors step up? How do the other players step up to change the the trajectory of the year? And Pitt, uh, like you said, it's not the toughest game. It was at home. Uh, they're two and six in conference play now. So they're actually behind us in the standings, but it's an important win for this program. And the next few games are really going to paint the picture for the rest of the season. I think Um, we've got a couple more coming up that are very winnable in um, Georgia tech at home and wake uh, or Georgia tech on the road and wake at home. Uh, And then we've got a tough, tough contest against Virginia tech. uh, And then two more that are, tough but probably at least one is winnable at Miami and at Louisville so that that five game stretch is going to be telling and if we can come out of that with three or four wins I think it it really bodes well for the rest of the season yeah and it's not to say that this win against Pitt is is not kind of an outlier in and of itself we have to see how this team finishes off this season but we are going to be playing a weaker competition than we played so far 
And if, you know, that game last night is in the indication um, in, you know, about Reed and Mitchell turning it around because they haven't had great, you know, Reed's been scoring. Mitchell has not had a great year so far uh, shooting the basketball. But if this is some type of a turning point, and I would expect it more out of these guys as seniors than any of the younger guys, um, you know, that remains to be seen, but, but hopefully it's going in that direction. And that's one reason to, to stay positive. Um, so that kind of wraps it up for, for catching up on the games in ACC play. Now let, let's turn it um, to looking at these individual players and how they've been performing. Okay, Sam, I want to start here with Shelton Mitchell. I mentioned his struggles, and really, when you look over his numbers over his four-year career in, uh, in the NCAA, and specifically when you look at his, his numbers in the three years at Clemson, there's been a, a trend of regression for him, and he's had uh, the, the knee injury that slowed him down um, early on in his time as Clemson, and I don't know if he's ever really bounced back from that. You know, we've seen his shooting numbers go down. He's shooting under 40% from the field this year, only 29% from three. Um, his numbers this year are more similar uh, to what we saw in his freshman year at Vandy. His assist yep. per game number is the lowest in his career. He's turning the ball over at the highest rate of his career. He is still averaging 11 and a half points per game, but they're not efficient points. Yeah, it's mostly out of volume at this point um, as far as his his scoring. He's the one that that has really taken a step back, I think. Uh, I mean, you, you talked about his three-point percentage. Last year, he shot thirty, almost 37% from three. Uh, his sophomore year, after he transferred from Vanderbilt and played uh, at Clemson in the first year, he shot 45% from three on a lower volume. Um, somewhere in that 37 to 45% range would be what we would expect uh, coming into this season, and instead he's shooting about 28%. Uh, like you said, he's turning it over uh, with – more turnovers per game, uh, lower assist rate. His assist rate is actually his lowest ever, uh, and it was way too low last year uh, as far as the percentage of, of possessions he ended with an assist. And his turnover rate is as high as it's been since 2017. So that's going the wrong direction as well. Yeah, and specifically um, in ACC play, he's only averaging 7.5 points a game, shooting 33% from the field and 26% from three. And actually, you take out the pit game. Yeah, he was 4 for 4 last night. Yeah, take out the pit game. He came into that game shooting only uh, about 10.5% from yep. three, which is uh, you know abysmal. He's only scored in double digits twice in <laughs> ACC play. That was the first game against Duke and then the game last night against Pitt. And he's turned the ball over four times uh, in uh, three different games. So it's, you know, the numbers weren't great heading into ACC play, and they've gone down uh, at least through the first six games. Now, the seventh game against Pitt was a bounce back, but have we seen enough in those early numbers to think that maybe for him that's more of an outlier? We should not expect the, 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 for him to trend upwards? I, I would think he's going to still continue to trend upwards. It's not going to look like the Pitt game but it will be somewhere in between the pit game and the rest of the season so far. Um, he's a better player than he's shown this year. I think hopefully that the pit game will be a sign of, of things to come. Uh, he'll have a little bit more confidence in his shot. He'll have a little bit more confidence driving to the rim, which he did much more aggressively in transition last night than I've seen him do in a while. Um, he, uh, he needs to be the guy that, that runs this offense. Clyde trap is, very capable as a point guard, but Shelton Mitchell is the point guard of this team that means more than 
most other positions, uh, you need a, a floor general out there and he needs to be that guy for us. Um, if he continues to struggle mightily, we're going to see this team struggle to, to finish out games and win games. Right. So at what point do you, given his play, and if it can kind of continues um, to be subpar, at what point do you start giving Clyde Trapp some more minutes? He had 16 points in that pit game, four for seven for three. And then in, in ACC play, he's 45% from the field, 43% from three. He does uh, turn the ball over um, almost two times a game, and that's in limited minutes. So, But he's a young player, sophomore. You would expect that. He does need to get better. And to your point, um, you know, can you risk him being out there and not having Shelton Mitchell um, uh, lead the offense? Uh, he's only shooting 60% from the line, but we expect that to improve. But you know, just from his shooting numbers alone and what you've seen and how poorly Mitchell has played at times, at what point do you start giving Trap more of those minutes? I think that Brad Brownell has, has really already started that process. Trap played 31 minutes in the pit game, uh, as did Shelton Mitchell. And he's we've been seeing more and more of him lately. So I think he's going to probably ease into that transition. Um, and if Mitchell continues to struggle, he'll step that up. Uh, but, but Trap's played nearly as many minutes as Mitchell in the last few games. And... He hasn't taken on. They've played a lot together, actually. Um, and so I think you'll see a lot of that going forward. Um, take out somebody like Amir Sims or David Scara first in the rotation and put Clyde Trap in with uh, the other guards and go smaller and let them all be out there together. Uh, it's. I don't want to take the minutes away from Shelton unless he continues to struggle, uh, but I think he's definitely going to have a shorter leash from the coaching staff going forward. And if he, you know, comes in has a couple turnovers early or picks up a dumb foul or, um, you know, makes some errors running the offense, then they're going to be quicker to pull him. Well, and you did see, uh, Mitchell get yanked out of the game. Yeah, there. Very quick rotation a couple times for some bonehead plays. Um, so again, hopefully the, the pit game's kind of a turning point to get him back on the right track, but you have to be a little, uh, pessimistic given uh, what you've seen out of him so far this year. Um, now sticking in the front court here, let's talk about Marquise Reed as expected. He leads the team in scoring, um, at over 19 points a game, shooting 47% from the field, but only 34% from three, which is the lowest in his career. So again, him and Mitchell, uh, with the shooting, uh, woes. Shooting 44% in league play, so a tick down from a season average. His defense has mm -hmm. improved. He has the highest rebounds and steals totals of his career. Um, so I guess that is, you know, on the, on the looking on the bright side. But we really need him to score. We need him to be more potent from behind the arc. Yep. In ACC play, he's led our team in scoring in six of the seven games. The only exception to that was when Amir Sims went for 18 uh, and led everybody in the game against Florida State. but. Reed has, has inefficiently done the things that we want him to do. If he can improve his efficiency a little bit down the stretch and continue to put the same numbers, uh, just with fewer turnovers, fewer misses from three, um, and a few more trips to the line where we know he's good and won't miss four in a row again, then I think we're, we're happy with the level of play that we're getting from Marquise Reed. He's shown some improvement in certain areas. He's drawing a lot of fouls this year, uh, which is nice to see. Um, but he just, his shots been off and he's gone through stretches where he went super cold. It's been better in ACC play, uh, for sure, but it's got to continue to, to improve. 
Yeah, so I think, again, between that one-two punch of, of Reed and Mitchell, and given both of them have been with the program for three years and they're seniors, I think we've expected more out of them uh, this year and really needed those guys between them and Elijah Thomas to step up as leaders of this team with Gabe DeVoe. And even Dante Grantham, after his injury last year, remained a vocal part um, in the leadership of that Clemson basketball team that went on to the Sweet 16. Um, so, you know, including their play, leadership roles as well. We really need to see these guys step up and kind of take ownership of this team if they're going to be successful um, closing it out. And listen, uh, both guys made the, the conscious decision to come back to school this year. So kind of similar with the guys on our defensive line uh, on the football team. Yes, the stakes are not the same. We're not playing for national championships or anything like that. But these guys didn't come back to, to lay down and just quit seven games into ACC play. You know, they've got... Um, you know, Mitchell's not going to get drafted and Reed probably at this point is not going to get drafted either. But I think long-term basketball is still in their future. I think that's still the desire. So improving their stock is something that, that certainly they are invested in as well as, you know, finishing the season strong on a winning note. So um, need those guys to turn it around. So let's move over to the backcourt now. Uh, mentioned Elijah Thomas there uh, as part of those trio of seniors. He's averaging 13 points a game, shooting a whopping 66% from the field, getting around eight rebounds a game, um, averaging close to three personal fouls. So that's that's good. Foul trouble has not been as big of an issue for him this year. Um, Landry Noko was a guy who, in, who could never really get it together as far as mm -hmm. the fouls were concerned. But good to see that Elijah Thomas... Um, has not been fouling as much. He's only playing 25 minutes a game. We really need him on the court more than that, I think. Um, but overall, and considering that he was dealing with some injuries coming into the season and being a little bit out of shape because of that, you got to um, like what you've seen out of him and his dominance down low. Yeah, uh, his his play has been really solid. He's one of the best free throw percentages in ACC play. Um, Field goal. Yeah, sorry. What did I say? Free throw. <laughs> uh, he yeah, is. No, he free hit his, his free, free throw shooting throw. is up this year to sixty six percent, which for a big guy is not bad. Yeah, no, he's he's definitely shown improvements. Uh, he's just hitting everything around the rim, uh, picking up offensive rebounds and and putting them back in the basket. A ton of dunks. Uh, like you mentioned, his his fouls are not great. He's still averaging uh, five just over five fouls per 40 minutes played, which is very similar to last year. Uh, and his minutes played are similar to last year as well, but he seems to be doing it in less uh, bunchy fashion. You know, he doesn't get three right away. He'll get one early. Uh, sometimes if it's early enough, Brad will pull him to prevent future ones. Um, but he'll get one early and then he'll go a stretch without picking up another foul and space them out better. So it's not, creating foul trouble as much as it was last year, which is an improvement. Um, well, I, I think just, he's, he seems to be the, the one senior um, of, well, not the only one because Scar is doing it as well, but he seems to be the senior that's, that's taking the mantle of, of ownership of this team a little bit better than the others. Um, we talked about Mitchell and Reed, but I, I think Eli's really stepped up and is sort of the, the vocal leader of this team since Mitchell and Reed are, are more quiet guys. And how much of a benefit is it to have a guy like Javen White backing him up as a, a true five man? Um, so when, as last year, we'd sub, I think, Donald in to back up Elijah Thomas. Now you got a guy who's not going to be a de defensive liability. His offensive game is certainly not polished at all. Um, but I think he did score double digits. Uh, yeah, his career high in, yep. the, in the pit game. Um, 
So it's been good to have him at least when being comfortable taking Elijah out if he gets in some early foul trouble. Yeah, Javen's been really good, especially in ACC play. He's looked a lot better. Um, like you said, 10 points against Pitt. It's his uh, season high for his time at Clemson. Um, I think he had a couple games at Oral Roberts where he got more. But That's right, yeah, season um, it was uh It was really good to see him. He really started off the game strong. Eli, like I mentioned, picked up an early foul and got pulled. And Javen came in and got a quick six buckets or six points in the first half um, and then continued to contribute throughout the game. So it's been really nice to have somebody who's actually a strong big guy defender come in to back up Eli. Uh, we don't really need a strong... Uh, post player offensively as a backup there, but it's good to have somebody in the, in the post be able to contest shots at the rim and, and change the, you know, the drives from, from the opposing team. Yeah. So um, good to have him on board, at least to add some depth um, at the five man uh, position there. Uh, you mentioned David Scara. This is a guy who's averaging 30 minutes for this team this year. So that tells you all you need to know about how valuable it was for him uh, to come back on this team. He's been the best defender by, by far on this basketball team. Uh, Brad Brownell giving him um, some, love, some love saying that he should be considered on the all ACC defensive team. He's not, you know, as Brownell would mention, he's not getting the blocks, but the things that he's doing and holding opponents best scores um, to their lowest uh, uh, totals of the year yep. has been huge for this team. And his offensive game has improved as well. He's shooting 50% from the field and 41% from three. Averaging only eight points a game, so he's not shooting a ton, but when he is, he's making the most of it. Doesn't turn the ball over much and has the highest rebound average of his career, so a lot of improvements you're seeing from Scara. Um, he is averaging only five points in ACC play, um, but again, I think he's been more focused on his defense. Yep, he's the guy that guards the best player, uh, as long as it's not a point guard or a center, on the other team every single night. And he, like you mentioned, he shuts down those players regularly. He makes them inefficient. He makes them score lower than their averages almost every single time. Um, and he does all of that every night. He's also, like you mentioned, he's improved a ton. He's shooting over 40% from three, like you said. And he's actually got the best offensive rating of any player on our team <laughs> in, in this, according to Ken Palm, so far this season. Well, maybe he so, should be shooting more then. I think, I mean, if you can shoot 40% from three and he can drive, he showed that a little bit in the last two games against NC State and Pitt. He's capable of uh, putting a shot fake on somebody as they come out to contest the three, which they're starting to do now because they respect that 40%. Um, he can pass. He can, you know, get around guys with the dribble. He's actually a really skilled player. I think he's probably the guy that's shown the most improvement from last season of the returners. And... Um, it's just, it's really good to see him back because he's the guy that directs the defense. Uh, even when Eli's in the game, David's the one leading uh, the team and telling everybody where to be and, and communicating defensively. Yeah, so again, very valuable to have him back this year. It'd be nice if we could get him up averaging closer to 10 points, closer to double digits. Yep. Um, because again, we've got some holes to fill, some gaps to fill from guys like Gabe DeVoe and Dante Grantham leaving last year. So would be good for him to, to get some more shots. Um, and then Amir Sims. Um, we were really hoping for a bigger step, I think, this year. And he has taken a step, uh, yep. an offensive improvement. But, you know, we were talking about this early on in ACC play where I, I think his physicality and his willingness to attack the rim could be better. Absolutely. Uh, 
he is averaging nearly 30 minutes a game and, and over nine points. Uh, so his minutes have nearly doubled from last year. Shooting over 46% on the season. But again, and this is a theme, ACC plays down to 37% from the field and 28% from three. So you've seen a lot of these guys, as we face stiffer competition, really take a step back in their offensive production. And we can only hope going forward that this improves. Yeah, Amir is um, a bit of an, an enigma for this team. He's got all the talent in the world. He can shoot, he can pass, he can dribble, he can play defense. Um, the thing that's frustrated me watching him this season, hoping I'm a huge Amir Sims fan. I was hoping he was going to make the leap this year. We talked about it early on in our season preview episode, I think. Um, but he, he's just a little soft at times. He, when he drives to the hoop, he won't go up and, and draw fouls. He's only drawing, um, two fouls per 40 minutes played. And for a big guy who shoots the ball pretty often, that's really low. Um, last season when he wasn't taking as many shots, he was drawing 2.3. So slightly higher. Uh, it's, it's just a little bit frustrating to watch him sometimes because he's got so much talent and skill. And if he were a little bit more aggressive at times, it would, it would show a lot more and you'd see, uh, a little bit more of that shine from him. And so, I, you know, I hope that he continues to figure that out. Dante Grantham had similar things early on in his career where he was passive at times when he shouldn't have been. Uh, I'm hopeful that Amir figures it out like Dante did coming into his senior year. Obviously, we'd like Amir to figure that out now and not a year and a half from now. Um, but he's still, well, yeah. he's, he's, still flashes. he's so much fun to watch. He's only a sophomore. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so he's got time to improve, but we need that sooner rather than later. Exactly. Um, and then finally, John Newman is really the only other bench guy um, besides Clyde Trapp that we mentioned that's getting any sort of significant playing time at 13 minutes a game. Um, but I think that really keys in on our, our front court depth for the most part um, needs to get better. Um, it would be great to get we talked about Trap, expecting to see him play more minutes. So hoping for, for some more production out of John Newman. And I think it really highlights where maybe it didn't seem so at the time. I, I think A.J. Oliver transferring in the offseason was kind of a big deal for this team. Yeah, it, it definitely hurt our depth um, in, with our guards. And John has sort of had to fill that role for A.J., and John's starting to figure it out. He's looked more aggressive offensively the last few games. Defensively, he's always been a bit of a pest, and he's, he's very active, which is great, uh, but he's fouling less the last few games. Um, you can see that in his conference play. He's only fouling two times in every 40, for every 40 minutes played versus two and a half for the whole season. Um, so he's, he's figuring out what it takes to play defense at a college level. Uh, he's extremely athletic and you know, energetic. So that's a great starting point. And now our coaching staff just needs to continue to mold him and, and teach him and, and we'll see a ton of improvement from him, I think. Yeah. So stepping back and having gone through all these numbers, I, I think one theme that you can see here is that a lot of these guys have regressed once we've started playing better competition in ACC play. And again, granted, it's been a very tough opening part of this schedule, but uh, you can only hope that they, they're learning and growing from this and they're becoming more battle tested, having playing these tough teams in these tough environments on the road or, you know, even, you know, teams like Virginia at home. Um, so 
I, I don't think that we can give up or should give up or there's any reason to give up on this team yet, but we do need to see some improvement. I think that starts at the top with the seniors and their leadership. Yeah. It's, and I think the pit was a step in the right direction for sure. Pit was a great start. Uh, obviously the NC state loss, like we talked about, it was painful to watch and it hurt our season. Um, but there's still time to make a recovery. We need to win against Wake and Georgia Tech and Miami and, and you know the BCs and Notre Dames of the league. And we need to steal a few games against some of the bigger teams. We have to win one of our games against our rank, ranked opponents remaining, uh, which gives us four chances, um, maybe five if Syracuse figures it out enough to get ranked by the time we play them in March. But Virginia Tech, Louisville, Florida State, and North Carolina, we need to win one of those four games. Um, and we probably have to win one against either them or Virginia or Duke in the ACC tournament to get into the, the NCAA tournament. We don't have any marquee wins at this point in the season, uh, which is really problematic for a resume. Uh, the NCAA yeah, it, game would have been really, great for that. Yeah, that would have been great. It really hurts that our, um, our out-of-conference schedule did not yield any decent wins yeah the uh the mississippi state game was really the best chance at that um and we squandered that one late but uh we're gonna have to capitalize on it in the remainder of acc play and the acc tournament in order to make it into the ncaa's because a 99 record uh in acc play would be good enough if we had a few of those marquee wins but without a couple of them uh and i think we'll need at least two to really make a good case to get in the tournament, uh, it's going to be tough for the committee to choose us over other teams who may have similar records and will definitely have some marquee wins. Okay, so that that's good for us to use this as, as a segue. Uh, so let's look ahead at that further, that upcoming schedule, and kind of piece together what we think it's going to take for Clemson to get in to the NCAA tournament. Okay, Sam, so you mentioned going 9-9, nine and nine, and I think nine wins is usually kind of the benchmark in the ACC if you're going to expect to get into the NCAA tournament. Um, sometimes you can go maybe 8-10 and 10 if you've had uh, a pretty good out-of-conference uh, schedule and some marquee wins within the ACC. Um, again, last night was a good start, but to get to nine wins, that means we're going to have to go to 7-4 and four over our last 11 games, and this is not impossible, uh, but, you know, it's not easy either. It's the ACC. Um, yep. That being said, six out of 11 of those games are at home, and the win percentage of the remaining teams in our schedule is just over 44%. So we're playing the easiest part of our schedule coming up. Um, out of those uh, six home games, I think we need to win at least four of those. Uh, two of those are to rank teams in Virginia Tech and North Carolina. I think we need to win one of those two games. Um, and overall, I think we'll need to win two games on the road. Uh, but four out of our five road games remaining on the schedule are against teams in the bottom half of the ACC. Yeah, so if we look at the away games first, we've got Georgia Tech February 6th, uh, then back-to-back Miami and Louisville, and then Pitt at the end of February, and Notre Dame beginning of March. Uh, Notre Dame should be a win. We need to win that game. Uh, Georgia Tech... And Miami should also be wins. The Miami one's probably the toughest of the bunch, uh, except for maybe Pitt. So if we can win at least four of those games, 
that would be great. They're all against teams, except for the Louisville game, uh, against teams that are lower ranked than us in the Ken Palm rankings. So Notre Dame, Pitt, uh, Miami, and Georgia Tech are all lower than us, and we should win those games because they're on the road. That complicates it a little bit. Uh, but I think we really need to come out of those away games with four wins. And like you said, uh, we need to go seven and four the rest of the way. So in those home games where we've got six left, one against Wake, which should also be a win, um, Virginia Tech at home and Florida State at home are going to be really tough, as will North Carolina. We need to win one of those three at least. If we win two, we're in really good shape. Uh, and then Syracuse at home to end the season, uh, as well as a Boston College one thrown in there around the Florida State one. It would be, I wouldn't be shocked if we dropped at least one of those, but if we came out with both of those victories, it would be huge as well. Um, so, you know, there's there's going to be a weird mix. We're going to drop a game we're not supposed to, and we're going to win probably at least one that we're not expected to. Uh, but I think seven and four the rest of the way is pretty reasonable. Given I think that strength of the remaining schedule. Yeah, I think it's certainly reasonable. So let's talk about what's possible. Uh, eight and three. I think anything more than eighty eight and three would be a stretch for this basketball team. And even getting to eight and three means that something has to click for this team. We need to see a continuation of what was going on, at least shooting wise, in the pit game. But again, as I mentioned, our remaining schedule is under five hundred um, as far as their winning percentage is concerned. So it gets a lot easier. Um, so at seven and four, we'd be 19 and 12, uh, with hopefully at least one win against a ranked team. I think if we get to 19 and 12, a two ranked wins, especially if one of those is on the road, then we may avoid having to get a win in the ACC tournament. But again, you're going to want to get one just to make yourself feel better at eight and three would be 20 and 11 with again, I think probably definitely two wins against ranked teams at yeah, that we, point. We so I think that it, would right? be good enough. Yeah, I think that would be good enough to definitely get us in without needing a win in the ACC tournament. Yeah, and if we get to that ten and eight mark uh, in ACC play, which eight and three would do for us, that would get us to the projection from um, the preseason for around sixth in the ACC. We might be tied for fifth, tied for seventh, something like that. And at that um, point, they're not going to keep you out, especially if you end no. the season strong like that. So I think if we get to nine and nine, we'll probably be right around um, number nine in the ACC, maybe eight, depending on how things fall fall out. Um, but if we can manage eight and three, which would require us to win all the ones we're supposed to, uh, and win probably one or two of the big games that we talked about, it's possible. And I, I think if we play like we did for the first, uh, you know. 36 minutes against Pitt and like we did for the second half and most of the game against North Carolina state and Florida state. Um, we, we have a really good chance to, to do that, but it's going to require some players to step up and we touched on all that today, but, um, we'll see how it plays out. So, you know, if we're saying the ceiling is eight and three, what would you consider the floor of this team to be? Um, I'm thinking with these 11 games that we have wrapping up, I can see the floor being as low as five and six. Yeah. I can't see us going any lower than five and six. Um, I could see us dropping, you know, road games against Syracuse and, or, uh, against Notre Dame and Georgia tech potentially, um, that we're not supposed to lose, but 
I really Notre Dame is not a strong team this year. Georgia Tech is solid. They're they're a little bit streaky. So if they got hot and and had a really good outing, I could see us losing to them. But I don't see us losing more than six of the remaining eleven. Yeah, and I think uh, once you get into five and six territory, which would put us at um, at seventeen and fourteen for the year, you're looking at if not winning the ACC tournament to get in, you're going to have to win at least three games and play in that championship game. Uh, So definitely don't want to start getting into that territory. And uh, I think even at 19 wins, that's kind of the mark where you have to start thinking it might take one tournament win uh, to, to advance into the NCAA tournament there. Um, But I think what we really have to do is kind of break down the remaining schedule in chunks. And uh, the most immediate chunk for me is I think the next five games where I think we need to win four out of the next five. And that would mean either a win at home against Virginia tech or on the road against Louisville, uh, uh, both ranked teams. And it would also include period two wins on the road that we have to pull out. But if we are able to win four out of the next five, that would put us at 16 and nine overall six and six in the ACC. How would you like our chances then considering that at that point we close the season with four out of our six games being at home? Yeah, I think if we, if we're able to go four and five, four and one in the next five, uh, we're in really, really good shape. I don't, if I had to guess, I'd say we win three, um, of the next five. And I still think we have a chance to, to finish strong if we do that. Uh, but four and five would be huge for this team. And, uh, it would be several quality wins in a row um, wins on the road against Miami and Louisville are both quality outings. Miami's not super great, but they're a decent team this year. Uh, if we could steal one against Louisville away or one at home against Virginia tech, like you said, that would be a marquee win for this team this season. Uh, that would be a ranked opponent, which always looks good. And um, you know, I, I think that there's the odds are good that we get three out of the next five. Uh, but if we can get four, it'd be awesome. Yeah. So winning four out of the next five would really put us in a good place. And I think at that point, Clemson fans would be a lot more optimistic about the season. And again, like I mentioned, we're the rest of the season, we're trying to paint some picture of optimism. And I think coming back in that NC state game was a good sign. Uh, the way we played in the pit game was a good sign. We should yep. be two and zero in our last two games and we should be at 13 and seven and three and four in the ACC instead of the other way around. So, I mean, even at 13 and seven, you're feeling a lot better about this team's chances. And uh, one last thing before we wrap up uh, here, you know, for all the people calling for Brad Brownell's head at this point, that's crazy talk, right? I mean, the guy, I know what he's done over his career at Clemson, and we've only made two NCAA tournament appearances, but we're coming off of a Sweet 16 appearance where the team came back and gave Kansas a game um and, and let's face it this is Clemson basketball like you have to be more patient and the bar for you know what type of achievements um is acceptable is much lower than it is in football we can't get jaded yeah. by that but you do see a lot of the things that Brad Bellnell is doing is very similar uh to what Dabo has done with the football program um you know giving Lyles that scholarship um mm-hmm. is something that you see Dabo do with walk-ons every year um, so again, I think Brad Bell is a guy that certainly fits the culture. If we don't get to the tournament every single year, 
um, that's okay. We can't expect that to happen. And it will be disappointing this year if we don't make it back to the tournament because on paper, we should be a lot better. Our record should be a lot better than it is. But it's asinine to talk about firing Brad Brownell at this point, especially so early into ACC play with his toughest schedule we had have and his history of teams not giving up and quitting on him we gotta let this play out and see how uh this team responds yeah absolutely agreed especially at this point in the season uh if we end this season going five and six in the rest of acc play and losing our first game in the acc tournament then maybe you can have an argument because he has lost the team at that point right uh but like you said he doesn't do that he he communicates well with his players they play hard for him and they're going to finish this season strong at least in an effort level uh we don't know what the outcome of the games will be yet obviously uh but it's it's way too early to even talk about firing him uh, yeah and, you know. and if your shooters aren't hitting shots it's it's hard for that to be 100 percent on you right at, at some point the onus has to be on them to knock down some shots yep and given the fact that we had a bunch of guys returning Mitchell Reed, Scara, Thomas, uh, all coming back as, as seniors this year. And if you're so the you know, team that you would expect to finish games, well, uh, you know, there's a bunch of experience on the team. They played in the tournament last year. They haven't shown that yet this year, but hopefully they can t- step it up and, and show that for the rest of the year. And if you're going to give Gabe DeVoe all the credit for, for, for last year, and point that out is a reason why we're not playing as well this year. Well, then, you're kind of contradicting yourself, not giving Brennan any credit for last year and taking it, placing all the blame on him for this year. Yeah. You can't have it both ways ways there. So we'll see. Still a lot of basketball left to play. Um, This team's goals are still ahead of them. They can still make the tournament. So let's keep an eye on them and see how they do specifically over these next five games. We go four out of our next five. We're actually sitting in pretty good shape. Um, so before we wrap up here uh, today, let's uh, take a look around uh, the rest of the world of college basketball. Okay, Sam, uh, first starting the ACC, what ACC teams have impressed you so far? Uh, obvious answer there is is Duke and Virginia. They're number two and three in the country right now, uh, but that's too easy. I think the the team that's the biggest surprise from the ACC this year is Virginia Tech. Yeah. They've, they've shown a ton. Um, they are currently ranked 12th in the country, 16 and three, and uh, they've looked incredibly good. They're the second best three-point shooting team in the country. It's a large part of how they've been successful this year. Um, but they've just been a ton of fun to watch. They score a bunch of points, uh, and they're actually pretty strong defensively as well. Buzz Williams is a is a good coach. <laughs> now they haven't had um, as difficult of an ACC schedule to start off this year. So I'm looking at it now. Uh, four of their wins are from the bottom five teams in ACC play. Um, they're six and two on the year. So their schedule is going to get tougher as the season goes along. So we'll see. Again, you have to kind of take put these things into perspective, you know, with Clemson's tough schedule starting out. And then at the same time, with Virginia Tech's easier schedule. That being said, they're out of conference. Their non-conference schedule is really good. They only had one loss. Um, but, but still we had to put these things in perspective. Yeah. I mean, their, their overall strength of schedule is 85th in the country, I believe. And ours is 26th. If I remember correctly, there you go. There's um, some more optimism. So we've played a much tougher schedule, uh, especially for conference play. Um, but you know, I think 
uh, Nikhil Alexander Walker and Justin Robinson have been incredible for for Virginia Tech, uh, and they they'll continue to have success. Uh, but I would expect them to sort of come back to earth a little bit over the next ten games in, in ACC play. Yeah, and and I think so. I tend to think so as well. Um, I mentioned Clemson was sitting at eleventh right now, but there's a lot of room for for upward movement. Yeah. Um, you know, Georgia Tech is a team that Clemson's already beaten. Uh, I believe we play them again. We do play them yep, again. We do. Um, and same thing with Florida State. You know, Clemson at home could handle a Florida State team. We do not have them though. Uh, on our schedule, uh, yeah, I think. One oh, so we do have a we have a home game against them. Yep, exactly. Oh, okay, so yeah, Florida State's beatable, and I think we've already seen that NC State is beatable. Although they did take Virginia to overtime, so there still is the opportunity, and we play Syracuse again. There still is the opportunity to Clemson to climb back up to the middle of the pack in the ACC. Yep. So I think uh, win. to bring it back to you know teams in the ACC that have been better or worse than expected. Louisville is another one with Chris Mack coming in to coach them. Uh, that has way outperformed expectations. I think they were picked in the bottom five of the league coming into uh, the season for, for ACC. And they're currently ranked 15th in the country and have looked incredible. Um, they've also played a very weak ACC schedule thus far. Yep. Um, they've they actually they played two against Pitt and lost one. Uh, they played Miami, who's second to last in the ACC right now, played Boston College who's uh, in the bottom yeah. half of the ACC. Yep. Same thing with Georgia Tech and the same thing with Wake Forest, who's last in the ACC. So again, these Good teams that are looking... state, but the rest not super strong. There. Right. So these... These these teams that are looking good so far wait wait until they play the type of schedule that Clemson has played so far with as many road games and uh, against these these ranked opponents that are in, you know not only uh, sitting at the top of the ACC they're sitting at the top of the the national rankings. Yeah, uh, Louisville's next four games are pretty brutal. It's home against North Carolina, on the road against Virginia Tech and Florida State, and then home against Duke. Those are all ranked teams <laughs> and. Uh, the two better teams are the home games. So there's a good chance that they could lose all four of those, but if they pull out two of those victories, it would be a pretty good sign for their season. Yeah. So, I mean, point being that uh, Virginia tech at home and Louisville on the road, which were two of the five games I mentioned this upcoming stretch, they're certainly winnable games. Absolutely. Uh, we don't know a ton about either of those teams because their strength of ske- schedule has been weaker. Um, we've played some tough games already, and we'll see if we can capitalize on on catching them, you know, unawares. But um, it's definitely they've had good starts to the season, so it's good to see the ACC doing well. Yeah, so um, that's where we stand with uh, teams in the ACC. How about nationally? What uh, you know, to me, and this is kind of heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching to see Tennessee and their crappy shade of orange sitting on top at number one uh, with Rick Barnes coaching them, former Clemson coach. Uh, that hurts a little. It stinks. Yeah, it stings. Uh, it's always good to see former coaches have success, but you don't really I'm happy have quite, for Rick. That much ex- quite that much success because uh, we want that, right? <laughs> um, exactly. But Tennessee is 18-1. Is and one number one in the country. They're getting the majority of the votes for number one. Um, the other two teams getting votes for number one are Duke and Virginia. Um, but yeah, Tennessee has been great so far this year. Uh, Nevada is another pretty big, not a surprise because they, they made a run last year in the NCAA tournament, but it's such a, a small program, obviously not one of the power five conferences. Um, 
and they're number eight in the country right now, which has been pretty awesome. You've also got a Houston team that had a good run uh, towards the end of last year at number 13 in the country. So there's a bunch of smaller schools, Buffalo, same thing, number 18. Uh, All those teams were really strong and had some younger contributors last year in the NCAA tournament. And they've lost a couple. Houston lost Rob Gray. um, But most of their big contributors for those three, three or four teams are, are back. And you can see that that continuity has really helped them move up the standings and, and have really good, strong starts to the year. Yeah. And then, you know, that's what's so much college basketball. Not only do we see these kind of mid majors in the top 25, but because of the format of the NCAA tournament, like there's actually a shot, like all of these teams have a shot to win it all. Absolutely. Uh, I think there's like, a lot of the last few seasons, there isn't one team that, that stands out head and shoulders above the rest. Last year, we thought it was Virginia, and look what happened. Um, so even if there were a team, uh, I think Duke and Tennessee and Virginia are probably in a tier above everybody else this year at this point. Uh, but there's they've all lost games, and they've looked vulnerable and had buzzer beaters to win a couple others. So this, I mean, if you make it to the tournament, it's really all about matchups and if you get the right matchup and have the right uh, shooting night and the right defensive night and get lucky, anybody can win this tournament, uh, which is why it's so important for us to get in. Yeah. And as I'm looking through the top 25 here, again, going back to Rick Barnes and Tennessee on top, I'm not seeing Clemson or Texas ranked. Uh, so moral of that story, uh, do not let Rick Barnes get away or fire him or, <laughs> whatever because this is what happens yeah you you let rick barnes go and also funny how he's uh yeah he's he's coaching a team um whose um you know icon is a t very much like texas and colors Mm -hmm. orange so it's it's even a more of a slap in the face once you really dive into the nuances of it (laughs) don't think about it too much ben okay well we'll focus on uh, clemson basketball um then finally, my Kansas Jayhawks uh, lost two in a row. They have. um, haven't really been following them too much this year um, because I was honestly wrapped up in Clemson winning their third national championship in football. But uh, maybe time for me to turn my attention back to them. They've actually lost three of their last four. Yeah, they're five and three in conference play right now, not leading the Big 12. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's been like 50 years since they lost the Big 12. So could this be the year? Um, well, they're only uh, half a game back, so true. good question. Um, let's see. Their schedule does get easier as the uh, rest of the regular season plays out. So, yeah, that'll be interesting to watch. Um, you know, Bill Self and these Kansas teams sometimes get off to a little bit of a slower start as their younger guys get their feet under them. It's kind of been quite the opposite this year. They went through a big chunk of their non-conference schedule without a loss until they ran into uh, Arizona State. Um, but... Anyways, it's not a Kansas podcast, but I went to uh, Kansas for grad school. So there you have it. <laughs> well, they've been good yeah. for me to have for somebody to to pull for in the NCAA tournament in the years that Clemson has not made it. Uh, and then last year, the collision course with Clemson versus Kansas. Obviously, I was pulling for Clemson, but I never thought I would have to see those two teams play each other. No, it was pretty cool. Uh, we, I think we watched the game together last year when we played Kansas, or at least we're, we're chatting yep. about it beforehand. And, uh, you know, we were all giving you a little bit of tr- crap for, for pulling for Kansas potentially. Uh, but you, you were very clear in your allegiances. Yeah. I wasn't even happy that, that 
I wasn't able to flip that switch after Clemson lost to being happy that KU moved on, at least not until I was not watching the them the next game. week. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so that wraps it up for our basketball check-in here. We will be checking back in a lot more often now that football season is over, probably about every one and a half, two weeks or so, depending on uh, what makes sense. And then also as baseball season gets nearer, we will start throwing in some baseball action. We'll do a season preview and also check in on the games there. And then Sam uh, did a Q&A with Ryan Keaton Tour from Shaking the Southland, so that should be posting soon. Go over there and check that out. That'll be uh, some basketball, more basketball talk for you. And then, uh, as always, please subscribe to us on any of your, uh, whichever podcasting app you prefer. That ensures that when we push these things live, you get instant notifications. Um, you can interact with us uh, at Clemson Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and then Clemson Podcast at gmail.com. And also, please leave us an iTunes review if you have a moment. Um, appreciate you guys listening here in the football offseason. And we look forward to uh, following back up with some more. Um, So until next time, and as always, go Tigers. Go Tigers.